Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I am Michael Bull, and I appreciate you being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or reach me personally. Well, today we're talking about the office market. You know, the office market uh, has gone through some changes lately uh, with uh, this pandemic. You know, and I'm hearing some companies uh, getting rid of space and saying they won't need space or need less space. Um, then I'm seeing some companies that are coming in and saying they need more space uh, because of the social uh, distancing. Uh, I, and, and as a businessman doing a lot of business uh, during this COVID timeframe, I've certainly had a frustration and seen frustration with a lot of my clients dealing with companies who have a lot of people working from home with the inefficiency and the delays. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the office market. Uh, but what's going on so far with the office market? How is it performing? Uh, what are rents doing? How about uh, the amount of sublease space? Is that a concern? And what's the future look like? Well, please welcome my guest. It's Michael Rosell. He's director of U.S. Office Analytics with the CoStar Group. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back with you, Michael. You know, the good thing for us is we can't forget each other's names, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, I guess my first question I think my audience would be curious about, Michael, is, you know, just what are you seeing for vacancy and, and then kind of the amount of, of sublease space coming on the market? Uh, sure. I think, uh, you know, a good, a good place to start would be to, to talk about uh, leasing a little bit and then we can transition uh, into vacancy absorption, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly uh, with the effects of the pandemic uh, continuing to linger, uh, there are some cracks that have emerged in the U.S. office market. So, you know, based on our forecasting model, uh, leasing velocity is expected to total less than 80 million square feet for the third quarter when everything is totaled. And that really remains near the troughs that were recorded during the great financial crisis in 2009. And it's also roughly 30% lower than the quarterly average we've seen over the past five years. Uh, and then what could be uh, called a bright spot, uh, too early to call it a trend, but the third quarter did show an improvement over the mid-year total and leasing velocity did accelerate uh, roughly 30% from the really, really re uh, depressed uh, mid-year total. And I think that subdued leasing volume suggests, at least to me, that a lot of firms right now are keeping their finger on the pause button in terms of long-term real estate decisions and opting for short-term renewals if they're facing an upcoming lease X just to buy some time to figure out where we're going to be in terms of the economy in the course of the pandemic. And I think as office leases obviously tend to be a little bit longer term, uh, if you're a firm looking to cut real estate costs, there are few options relatively. And one of them is to sublet either part or all of your space, obviously, to recoup at least some of the cost. And it looks like office occupiers have been trying to do exactly that. So the quarter over quarter increase was relatively negligible to start the year in terms of sublet availability on the market. But the pace of sublet additions did accelerate sharply once we hit mid-year, and then it further accelerated during the third quarter. Now, prior to the second and third quarter of this year, the uh, supply of sublease space across the U.S. has been relatively stable, varying between 100 and 110 million square feet over the past decade. However, that number now totals a record 156 million square feet, which represents about 13% of the total available space in the U.S. office market. Wow. 
And I, I think in terms of sublease space, the uh, increase has been particularly acute in tech hubs such as Austin and Texas, San Francisco, Seattle. But the spike really isn't limited to those tech-centric areas. We also have Boston, Los Angeles, Dallas, and Chicago also seeing heavy sublet uh, additions. And on a nominal basis, New York leads the country with 25 million square feet of sublease on the market, which is an increase of about 28% from the end of 2019. Uh, in terms of large markets, um, you know, faring a little bit better, I'd say Washington, D.C. is faring the best out of larger coastal markets. I think the federal government may be acting as a bit of a buffer there. And that has uh, one of the smallest increases of any of the major markets in terms of sublease space. But uh, I think, you know, kind of talking about that a little bit, you know, we talked about leasing velocity being down for the third quarter and really since mid-year. We've been talking about firms adding sublease space, but there are some big deals that are still occurring. And I think they're occurring in places we may not expect them. A lot of people, once the pandemic started, were talking about how tech firms in particular would be suited best for a permanent work from home model. But what we're seeing is these large tech firms actually driving a lot of the leasing velocity in the office sector. You know, in, uh, in the third quarter, uh, we had Amazon signing leases totaling about one and a half million square feet in Bellevue, Washington for properties that are under construction. Um, and, and I think even more interesting is following several public statements envisioning 50% of its workforce permanently working from home within the next five to 10 years. Facebook signed a lease for 730,000 square feet in New York at the Moynihan Station project and then doubled down on its commitment to office space later in the quarter by purchasing the former headquarters of REI, the uh, outdoor outfitter in Bellevue, Washington, uh, to close out the quarter. So, um, you know, they're saying one thing, but where they're putting the money and, and really um, have been on an office space leasing and purchasing spree over the last couple of months. Microsoft is another great example, I think. They extended their work from home protocols, I think, to mid 2021. But during the second quarter of this year alone, least close to a million square feet of office space in Reston, Virginia and Atlanta. Uh, so I think, um, you know, they're they're really, uh, you know, playing the long game in terms of uh, in terms of office space and, uh, and getting people back to work rather than uh, just kind of being caught up in what's been going on over the last few months with the pandemic. So, um, you know, I think that, that's definitely an interesting trend right there. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting to say one thing and then do another. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, you know, I, I think everybody is waiting to figure out where we're headed. Uh, you know, this we, we will get through this. Uh, the yeah. economy will rebound. The pandemic, You know, there will be a vaccine and therapeutics and, uh, and things will ultimately get back to normal. So I think, you know, making 10, 15, 20 year decisions based on what happened in the last two months may not be uh, always the best course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have good to step point. Back. <clears throat> good point. Well, how, how what are you guys seeing for uh, asking rental rates? Uh, much adjustment there yet? You know, I think there really hasn't been a lot uh, of adjustment in terms of asking rents. Uh, asking rents, asking rent growth was decelerating even prior to the pandemic. Uh, and it was pretty much flat in the third quarter. And I think really uh, what it comes down to is owners are having to decide whether it's worth agreeing to leases at substantial rent discounts and thereby devaluing your asset for the next 10 plus years in order to avoid what might be a relatively limited period of vacancy, which is probably already baked into your pro forma at some point. 
And I think the preference so far appears to be absorbing short-term costs of elevated concession packages as a one-time cost, rather than repeating the sharp rent cuts that we saw in 2008 and 2009. And if we look ahead a little bit in the crystal ball, our, our forecast, our baseline forecast does call for rent losses, though the severity and duration is less than what occurred during the prior downturn during the great financial crisis. And by mid-2022, we foresee a, a healthy uh, return to, uh, to growth levels before it tapers off to more modest, but still positive gains in the outer years of the forecast. Do you guys see any um, difference or expect any uh, different performance on uh, CBD versus suburban? You know, there's there's been a lot of talk about that, that we're going to see uh, a flight uh, from the CBD into more suburban offices and and really, that's not showing up in the data uh, just yet. We haven't seen uh, any any reverse migration of sorts. Um, you know, there's there's talk of a of a hub and spoke type model, uh, and if that does come to fruition, where you have a main headquarters office for uh, important meetings, or client meetings, uh, in the CBD, and then smaller satellite offices closer to employees' homes in the suburbs. You know, that wouldn't necessarily lead to a, a reduction in the amount of office space you need. It would just shift demand slightly uh, from the urban cores to the to the suburbs. But but even that model, we haven't seen um, take hold yet. I think, uh, you know, as I mentioned at the top office tenants, by and large, are waiting to see what shakes out over the next six to 12 months. Because all of these decisions obviously are very capital intensive. You know, if you're entering into a 10 or 15 year lease commitment, uh, you want to make sure you're getting it right, uh, whether that's in terms of your location, uh, in terms of your architectural design and layout. Um, all of these, uh, you know, are, are really uh, important decisions, uh, expensive decisions, and you don't want to institute a protocol or a workplace design that's suitable today, but 12 months from now doesn't really work all that well for you anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, Michael, if I have a, a tenant that uh, asks me about sublease rates uh, on average around the country uh, compared to the direct landlords asking rates, are you seeing any, any trend there yet in asking rents for the sublease space that uh, I could answer a question like that to a tenant? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think historically sublease uh, rents, you're looking at at least a 10% discount. But it really all depends. Uh, it depends on location. It depends on size. And obviously, a uh, nicely fitted out space that has some term attached to it uh, is at a bit of a uh, more of a premium than a smaller space with, say, a 12 or 24 months left uh, of term left on it. So, it, you know, I hate to go back to the old cliche, but uh, it, it kind of all depends. And it's all negotiable there, depending on sublease space. But yeah, there, there certainly are discounts to, uh, to direct space. And you know, I think tying that back into to rent growth and why we haven't seen rent losses as of yet, you know, I think uh, landlords um, are happy enough to let the sublease space coming on the market take a beating in terms of rent and hold on and keep the levels of the direct space uh, where they are uh, for as long as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. We're talking with Michael Russell. He's director of U.S. Office Analytics with CoStar. And, and Michael, obviously, the, the investment sales market has, has been a, a good bit slower um, when you guys look at the, the nation overall, uh, kind of what are you seeing? Yeah, I uh, completely agree. The data reflects that, Michael. Uh, similar to leasing velocity, investment volume uh, did post a slight increase over the mid-year total. 
though at about $16.5 billion, it does remain roughly 60% below even our first quarter uh, levels. I think, look, there, there are a lot of hurdles putting pressure on investment activity, you know, including a pricing disconnect between buyers and sellers. You know, I think a lot of buyers are looking for distressed assets and pricing. Uh, though relatively few deals uh, of that nature have materialized. And, and if history is a guide looking back on previous downturns, distressed assets usually appear about a year or two after a downturn has begun. So it's not, it's not completely unsurprising that we haven't seen this flood of distressed assets hitting the market. You know, and again, uh, investors are still limited in some regards to the ability to travel around the country to see prospective uh, investment targets. And then, you know, there is some uncertainty in the lending markets about how to underwrite a deal when there's no definitive answer as to whether this work from home arrangement will become more permanent and what the effect on demand, vacancy and, and rent will, will ultimately be. And in terms of, you know, some markets around the country, I think we, you know, we've seen mixed results, expensive coastal gateway markers with the markets with higher barriers to entry like New York, D.C., Seattle and Boston, you know, continuing to see some of the steepest retreats in terms of volume. Uh, however, we have seen a rebound. Some markets like Los Angeles, Denver, Miami, uh, you know, their third quarter volume total is roughly on par with the prior two year average. So there has been a bit of a rebound there. And, you know, there have been a couple of, uh, uh, of high profile deals that closed. Um, you know, it's, it's rare that, you know, we see dis distressed pricing. Uh, as I mentioned, but there was one deal in Los Angeles for the U.S. Bank Tower that, that was an example of COVID-related uh, repricing. Uh, Silverstein Properties, who's based in New York, purchased that uh, asset from a Singapore-based firm, OUE Limited. Uh, OUE was looking to get around $650 to $700 million for the building, and it ended up trading for $430 million. So uh, there was a bit of a disconnect there. But, you know, other, other assets that have traded around the country are are pretty much trading at pricing that we saw pre-pandemic. We're, we're not seeing that flood, and, and those uh, those assets that are seeing significant pricing discounts right now are more the outliers than the rule. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I lead a team that, that's focused on selling office buildings, and we've closed five good-sized ones uh, since COVID started, and we, we saw the same thing. We're getting you know cap rates equal to or potentially even a little uh, lower in some cases than than pre-COVID, but they were all uh, real COVID-resistant uh, type of tenants, and we're about to bring out a, a small eight million dollar deal that's non it's it's not COVID-resistant, but it's hundred percent occupied. It's in a great area, in West Palm Beach, and I'm really curious, you know, what the investment sales market is going to say about you know a, a normal office building, <laughs> with normal <laughs> office tenants. Uh, and to that regard. You know, you you study the office market and you think about the use. And there's with these business, like I said in the open, and some businesses are saying they don't need space; they're going to need less space. People can work from home; they'll be fine and productive. Um, but then some companies, like you said, that some of the even the tech companies are leasing a lot of space. Yeah. Um, we've heard some companies say, you know what, my people are more productive when they're together, um, and uh, I need more square footage to to give them some distance. You know, what do you think is going to happen uh, moving forward with, with businesses' use of office space? And, and how much time does, does all this take, do you think? Sure. I think, you know, Michael, that's, that's the billion-dollar question. Uh, <laughs> what's going to happen in terms of, uh, of office demand going forward? And, you know, I think early on uh, in the pandemic, we, we kind of had an overreaction one way where the, the thinking was, you know, nobody's going to need office anymore. This is working out just fine. We could save a lot on our real estate costs. 
you know, then, then a couple months went by and I thought we, you know, we started seeing a push the other way. We really need to get back. We need to reopen our cities. We need to get our employees back in the office. You know, and I think we're starting to now maybe even add a little bit where uh, employees may ultimately get the long desired flexibility of workplace where you may rotate in and out of the office a couple of days a week. But I don't see, uh, you know, large commitments where entire firms are going to permanently work from home. I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of difficulties with that. You know, there, there are certainly uh, opinions uh, where, you know, the thinking is it, is it does erode collaboration and spontaneous collaboration, as well as company culture. You know, it's very hard to establish and maintain company culture via Zoom meetings, uh, particularly if you're trying to hire and onboard new employees. You know, how can you give them a sense uh, of what your company is, stands for, believes, the feel of it? Uh, when you hire them at home and then they work at home. So, um, you know, I, I, I think we may, we may see that balance where employees are granted a little more flexibility. Obviously, there's going to be extremes on, on one side or the other, and, and every business has to decide what's most appropriate for them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it is important that we have people back in the office to work together to collaborate. Uh, I think largely uh, most people uh, would prefer to be back in the office at least part-time. Uh, you just uh, you miss that socialization at a most basic level, you know that that water call cooler talk, or you go and grab grab a cup of coffee with a colleague, and, and sometimes some of your best ideas are just spontaneous in the hallway like that. And you know I think that's lacking a bit. But you know for a lot of uh, employees, particularly in dense urban centers, uh, they may not miss the commutes every day <laughs> into the mm -hmm. office. So. You know, I think flexibility, being as flexible as possible, will uh, will be very important going forward. And you know, that doesn't necessarily translate to a, to a loss in demand either. Um, you know, because if these distancing protocols stick around for for some time, uh, even if you are rotating in and out of the office, you know, you're probably going to need the same footprint, if not a larger footprint, to accommodate people in conference rooms. So, um, I. You know, I, I don't see a, a massive immediate net loss in office space. And I think what helps with that also is, as I mentioned, when we're, we're talking about sublease space, like office leases tend to be long term. Mm -hmm. So even if every firm across the country decided to reduce their footprint by 10 percent, we're not going to see the full effects of that for 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. And in the meantime, you'll have um, less new supply and. Uh, everything will be fine, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an important point as well, Michael. You know, the level of new supply across the country remains relatively restrained. So we are at much lower levels in terms of the supply pipeline uh, heading into this downturn than we were back in, in 2006, 2007, heading into the Great Recession. So, you know, if, if there's certainly a bright, uh, a bright spot in the U.S. office market, it's that construction levels remain very manageable and we're not seeing a flood of speculative development hitting the market. So I don't think we're going to see um, uh, an overwhelming amount of uncommitted space hit during this downturn that really spirals the vacancy rate. Yeah. Well, what's it like there in Minneapolis before we uh, let you go? <laughs> it, is, uh, it is cold and snowy. It's about 25 <laughs> degrees snowy. Um, how's, yeah. how's, how's businesses? How are the openings? How are the office buildings? Are they, are anybody working in the buildings? You know, in, in downtown Minneapolis, it's still, still pretty quiet. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, 
it's, it's not too dissimilar from many other uh, urban centers around the country, you know, that are reporting somewhere around 20, 25% uh, of occupancy. And I, uh, I think that's where, uh, that's probably a good estimate for, for where we are in, uh, in downtown as well. You know, some of our suburban office parks are doing a little bit better. People can drive there. Uh, park and you don't have to wait for an elevator to get to the 40th floor. So uh, mm-hmm. I think they, they may be uh, seeing a little bit more activity, but uh, right now we're kind of in line with with some other areas across the country. How about uh, your restaurants and retail? Are people getting out and about or no? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's a tale of, uh, <clears throat> of two cities in, in that regard as well. I think uh, suburban areas are seeing people get out and about a little bit more. Uh, the people who are uh, in the uh, in the CBD, the urban core uh, itself, but um, you know, there's there are a lot of struggles uh, as well uh, in that area in terms of hospitality, like there are around the country. Uh, it's kind of a little bit a uh, little bit more concerning here with the weather, since the outdoor dining areas have gone away. Uh, we're not, not really going to see that, and restaurants are still operating at limited capacity. So. Um, you know, it's going to be, uh, I think, a difficult, uh, difficult winter unless things change. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like uh, it's, it's all right. Well, good. Well, Michael, that's uh, great information. And I uh, appreciate you being on the show uh, as usual. Great information. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Michael. All right. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on the office market, uh, including an inside look at what we expect to see moving forward uh, for office users and how it will impact the commercial real estate market. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like a more inviting and safe environment for your property? Check out the ION technology for your heat and air system from Core Green Technologies. It's effective, safe, and won't break the budget. Visit core.green to learn more. Site selection, marketing, and property due diligence has just changed. Check out Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. That's Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. Use promo code CRE Show. You will love this product. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about the office sector, the office market, and how it's impacting businesses. And look, the office world has been doing okay. The sector's been doing okay. Collections have been doing well, really. It's been kind of surprising. But look, subleasing activity is, is, is really sky high. You know, leasing activity is down. Uh, you know, because of COVID, uh, a lot of companies uh, are working from home. They want their employees uh, to be safe. And it's caused some companies to think that maybe they don't need office space or are going to need less of it. So what does that mean for the productivity of these businesses and the growth of these businesses? If you lease a business, we're gonna share some 
important aspects of your office uh, use for you. What does it mean for office demand? What's it mean for the office sector moving forward? Well, I think the timing of all this has really come two factors involved. One is the COVID vaccine timing, right? I mean, people want to feel comfortable and safe. And even if you're in, this, in the uh, school of people who think that COVID is not a big deal, that the shutdown's worse uh, than, the, than the, the problem, um, you, you definitely want your employees to be safe and feel safe and the people who come in your business. So the vaccine timing is one thing that's going to adjust the timing on the office sector. Another is really the economy. You know, all these shutdowns around the world are obviously heavily impacting the economy. Are we going to have more shutdowns, less? When's this going to, to, to end? So that will affect the timing. So I'm, I'm going to give you what I thought, think are the timing and the results after this pandemic. And those are the two factors that will adjust the timing. My prediction is that in 18 to 36 months, there's going to be big demand for office space again, right? And uh, that may sound like a bold statement to some, especially if you're in the camp that, hey, this work from home is, is working great. So I'm going to give you some reasons, some things to think about about that recovery um, and, and, and the timing on it. So, you know, look, if, if one and a half years to three years, I think there's going to be uh, great demand. So think about the impact of work from home on your business. Uh, you know, how has it been doing business lately? Have you been trying to do business? What's it been like? You know, my brokerage business has been very active uh, throughout COVID, and the clients and, and people that we work with have really struggled with the work from home, the delays, uh, just the productivity. Uh, it's, it's been difficult, and people have realized that doing businesses with companies that have worked from home is pretty difficult. So when there's a choice of working with companies that do a lot of work from home and ones that don't, you know, I think it's going to impact um, the results and, and profits of these businesses. You know, the clients, attorneys, the lenders, uh, the delays and inefficiencies has been, uh, been real apparent. So when employers feel safe, right, when they feel it's safe, they're going to get people back in these offices. They want to increase productivity and profits, and they're going to do it. Um, and, you know, if you work in a high-rise, think about this. It, there's going to be a longer period of time for you there to feel comfortable, right? But think about this, after 9-11, there was a lot of talk in, in New York and other cities that, hey, no one's going to want to work in high-rises again, right? We heard it. And, and was it true? No, it wasn't true. It changed. So while we're thinking one way right now, it's going to change as the environment changes, as COVID gets safer. If you, if you lead a business or you, you, you work with those who do, think about these 10 things. Um, one, for your business, is growth. Is it going to impact growth, your company growth working from home? Um, think about recruiting. You know, how you, when you're recruiting someone to work at your company, you say, oh, you're going to love our people, you're going to love our culture, you're going to really learn from the people around you. By the way, you're going to be at home by yourself. Mm, you know, that's going to be tough on recruiting. Think about onboarding. If you've been onboarding people through, through since COVID, you know about the difficulties there. Um, we've done it, and it's, it, it is difficult. Uh, think about training. While you can train and do some of these things, uh, uh, you know, on Zoom, uh, it's difficult. Uh, think about collaboration. Um, think about innovation. Think about uh, culture, right? It's hard to, to understand and get a feel for the culture uh, when people aren't together. Um, think about retention. 
you know, keeping people involved, keeping them in your company uh, is a lot more difficult when they're doing work from home or work from anywhere. And then the last two things I think are productivity. You know, when you think about productivity um, and you look at that, uh, how's it impacting your business? And, and last of all, you know, profits. And so if you lead a business and you think about those things, even if you're in the camp now that, oh no, everything's working great, work from home, as things start easing up, uh, you know, it, it's probably gonna be a little different from you. So think about this, if, if you run a business, what's your largest expense? It's your people, right? It's, it's your salaries, it's your people. And what makes that more expensive is turnover, you know, uh, retention, people leaving, uh, not getting good talent in in the first place. So uh, onboarding and, and recruiting. Um, and think about if you're an employee at one of these companies, you know, career growth. You know, have you ever heard that, uh, oh, so-and-so moved up in the company because they spent a lot of time uh, around the top people. You know, well, if you work from home, who are you spending a lot of time around? Um, so it's probably your, your kids or your dog. <laughs> you know, so um, think about that for your career. Uh, think about the expense of your people and that turnover and what that cost you. And then think about what your office cost you. So what's the future impact there? Look, another thing to think about is people like having that other option, that other thing in their life, right? That, you know, you have a home life and your friends, family, and then you have a business life, you have those business friends and, and things, and you have that positive thing going on in your life that's, that's personal and business, and they're two separate things, right? And I've, I've had a friend one time was having a tough time in his personal life, and he said, look, just spend a little more time, excitement, energy into your business life. You know, so there, but if you're always working at home, you're around that environment all the time, uh, that could be a, a lot tougher to think about. Well, will people want to get back in the office? I was talking to an employee, a high-ranking employee at a company yesterday, and um, he was commuting uh, one hour on a good commute uh, each way to get into his office in Chicago. And I was talking to him yesterday, like I said, and he said, look, I can't wait to get back in the office. Now, he's worked from, he was working from home, he has a nice home and a nice office at home, but he misses that environment, he misses the people, misses the excitement, the increased productivity and collaboration, you know, learning from the younger people and the younger people learning from him. You know, he, even though he, that's another two, two to two and a half hours a day in his car, he wants to get back in the office. People want to have that environment. We're social animals, right? There's gonna be, be that demand. But what about the companies who say, well, look, I think we can use less space. You may think that now, but think about this. If you want to have your employees feel comfortable and feel safe, then you may want more room in your office for social distancing. You, know, you think about what is, what's been the trends over the last several years. Less square footage per employee. And you think about when that gained the most steam was when the labor market was people were just glad to have a job, right? Uh, hey, if I have a job, you could put me in 100, feet, 100 square feet per person, 150, you can put me in an open area. But what happens when somebody sneezes, somebody gets the flu, you have a lot of people out. I think it was a terrible idea, a terrible environment. What, ha what was the trend happening? Well, before COVID, the trend was happening that, hey, now that the, the employment market was strong, employees had more options, you know, they're like, look, I don't wanna be in that environment. 
people realizing the, uh, the health issues of having that many people close together. So, you know, and then you think about, well, maybe I can use less space if, if I hotel or I, I, I you know, so, so does an employee want to come in and work where somebody just left? Where, you know, or they want their place that no one's been but them. I think I'd feel more comfortable in that environment. So I think what's going to happen is businesses are going to realize to be profitable, to be productive, to really enjoy your career and your business, they're going to want to get back in the offices as far as the size space. Uh, they may, may really want more space. That trend uh, of less square footage per person, like I said, it was ending anyway, or, or, or not ending, I should say, but uh, it was a trend that people realized and there were problems with it. So people are going to want more square footage per person. They're also going to want an office that gets people to want to be there, right? Because of all the benefits of being in the office for the person, for their career, for the company, for the collaboration. And so you're going to want an office environment where people want to be there. So you're going to want to have probably have more square footage per person. You want to have an environment in your office that people want to be in. So how can you benefit from this environment? Well, first of all, if you lead a business, if you run a business, think about using this time to get a better deal on your office space. If you think about the benefits when COVID is over and, and the economy is rebounding, you're going to want to be competitive with your recruiting, with your retention, with your productivity. Um, and you're going to want to use that the office space, which is a lot cheaper line item than your career, than, than, sorry, than your employees, than your salaries. Uh, you're going to want to use that environment to increase productivity. So think about the deals you can get now. If you're leasing space, probably get a better deal on your lease space. Uh, than you could have uh, uh, pre-COVID. Um, and I think that can last maybe for the next year. So if you've got a lease coming up in the next two, three, four years, I would look at that and see, hey, is this a time to look at productivity there? And you think about it, some of the companies are doing that. What Facebook just invested $368 million in an office environment. They got a great deal, a great property. You know, they're investing in office because they know it's going to help with all the things that help a business operate. Microsoft has leased over half a million square foot in Atlanta, uh, where our headquarters is located. Look, these companies realize the benefits of great office space. So if you run a business, now might be a good time to, get, to buy a building or lease a building. So let's think about if you're an investor. Might be a good time to look at office investments over the next 12, 18 months, maybe 24 months to look at the office environment. There may be some opportunities for your acquired property. Um, so look at that. And then if you're an office owner, if you own office buildings right now, one thing I think about is be comfortable with shorter leases right now, right? If you're a lender on office properties or you're another stakeholder in the office investment world, um, think about uh, being okay with shorter leases because some of the tenants are going to be more comfortable with that until they see how the economy rebounds. Um, and also, you don't really want to lock in uh, a lower rate or a better deal for a tenant for real long term. So be okay with uh, shorter leases. And um, look, it, it doesn't matter who the president is uh, in commercial real estate. The economy is going to, to rebound. Um, people are going to need office space. The office world's going to be fine. Uh, there's just going to be a lull here for 18 to 36 months 
where if you're a tenant, uh, user of office space, good for you, go out and get a better environment. If you own office space, hey, get through this time, do shorter leases, keep tenants in your building. They're gonna wanna come back when they feel safe, when they see they're gonna be more productive to be there. There's going to be more demand. All right, that's my scoop on the office market. Everything's going to be fine. All right, thank you uh, for joining us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'd love to hear what you think. We appreciate you sharing the show. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. Incredible analysis using smartphone technology. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.